Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. You thought he was talking about Jesus, did you? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, today we're in part three of our message series called I Wish I Was There, where we are putting ourselves right in the middle of some of the most amazing stories in the Bible and see what it was like if we were there. Today is no exception because today God has something really important for you. So if you want to take notes in your own Bible, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you want to just, you know, use the sheet provided for you, that's perfectly fine as well. All right. Uh, as many of you know, I went to Baylor University for my undergrad, you know, hey, sick and bears. Um, but while I was there, I went to a Bible study every Monday night, and it was led by literally the most incredible guy I've ever met. And he, as he talked, he was so inspirational because it was obvious, like this guy, like he knew God. I mean, I'd gone to church my whole life. I'd heard, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons. But I tell you what, I'd never heard anything like this. I, I'd never heard anything that was so inspiring and so motivated. It made me want to you know, grow closer to Christ. Because this guy had a passion and a relationship with Jesus. Like, I, honestly, I'd never seen before. And his name is Louis Giglio. And if you run in Christian circles, like you've heard of him before, because he's now a nationally known speaker and author. And if you've never heard of him before, look, get on the internet, download some of his podcasts. I mean, he is unbelievable. But listen, as I would listen to him, it, would, it made me think, you know, like, I'm a Christ follower, but I don't follow Christ like that guy. But I want to. And so it started for me a four-year journey of going deeper in my relationship with God. And God used that guy to change this guy. Look, I, I, think, I think all of us at some point in time, we've come across somebody that is so inspiring, that's so motivating, that it challenges us to be more than who we already are. Because it gives us a vision of who we can become. And the danger is, is if we ignore it when God sends those people across our paths in life, it means that we would live boring, uninspired, humdrum, average, ordinary, predictable lives. Lives that we're, we're just trying to just get through the next season rather than getting anything out of that season. How boring is that? Look, the goal of life is not to arrive safely at death. Like, that's not what we're supposed to do. God wants us to live exciting, faith-filled, abundant, full lives. And so he sends these inspiring people our way sometimes to inspire us to be more, which is why I'm so glad that we're going to be looking at the story we're looking at today because this is a classic story of how one guy inspires a huge group of people to sell out for God. He inspires these people to really give their lives, to follow God. It basically says, hey, what? This is not how life ought to be, but here's what it can be. And they, and they, and they, and they go for it. It's, it's incredible. So before we get to that, uh, we need to set up a little background so that we fully understand what's going on in the story. Here's the deal. King Ahab 
is the king over Israel, and he's married to a truly evil queen. Her name is Jezebel. I mean, she's really bad. And these two people, they lead the nation of Israel to stop worshiping God and to start worshiping the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Okay? Now, Baal and Asherah are fertility gods, which means that they were, um, that they, that they, people thought that they were responsible for, you know, how well their crops did, how well their livestock reproduced, how many kids that they personally would have, that kind of thing. And as fertility gods, as you can imagine, over time, it led to the over-sexualization of their culture. In fact, things got so out of control that they eventually got to the point where they had temple prostitutes. So if you went to the temple of Baal or Asherah, part of your worship that day was to have sex with one of the temple prostitutes. And they justified it by saying, no, no, it's not immoral. It's just being religious. I'm telling you, things in that country, in that culture that day, they were out of control and they were, it was way over sex. So, and it's into this culture that Elijah the prophet appears. And he begins to preach and teach against what Baal and Asherah, you know, were saying, or the, what these false gods taught, and, as you can, and what God taught. So as you can imagine, that infuriated King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Well, it all comes to a head one day on Mount Carmel. Because Elijah challenges King Ahab and all the false prophets to a showdown. And they go to the top of Mount Carmel, one of the highest mountains in Israel. And it's actually, uh, Mount Carmel is the first peak in the Carmel Mountain Range. And the mountain drops off on, all, on three sides. But on one side, it drops just a little bit and then forms a plateau. In fact, you can go there today because on top of Mount Carmel is a visitor center with an overlook where you can see this plateau, and it's on this plateau. That is where the showdown takes place. In fact, I brought a picture of it here with me. Let's go ahead and put that up. So this is what it looks like. If you're on the visitor center, you kind of look down, and it, it, it might be a little bit difficult to tell, but it, this little area forms kind of a natural amphitheater. So kind of where that road goes, that road wouldn't have been there in Elijah's day, but as where that road goes, just kind of right there in the middle, that's where Elijah and the prophets of Baal would have been. And you can see there's a little hill to that side. There's a little bit of a hill kind of back that way. And then coming towards us here is another little hill. You could have literally seated thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this natural bowl, this natural amphitheater that occurs there at the, near the top of Mount Carmel. That is where this showdown takes place, okay? So let's put ourselves in the scene. It's hot. It's dry. It hasn't rained in more than three years. So everything is brown. So Elijah shows up. King Ahab and the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they show up. And then there's thou literally thousands and thousands of people from nearby towns that have trekked. And they seat themselves in this natural amphitheater. And let's say that you are one of those people. And so you take your seat to watch what's about to go down. And if you were there that day, here's what you would have seen, okay? This is what I want you to write down. What would I see if I was part of the crowd on Mount Carmel that day? Well, the first thing I would see is this, an outnumbered prophet and a questioning crowd. I'd see an outnumbered prophet and a questioning crowd. First Kings 18, beginning verse 19, the Bible says this, 
Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. This is Elijah talking. <clears throat> and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And I want you to underline this. But the people said nothing. Underline that. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God and I'll call in the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Okay, so <clears throat> basically it's Elijah versus all of the other prophets of Baal and Asherah. Basically it's one versus 850 by my count. Okay, plus, by the way, there are thousands and thousands of people in this amphitheater. Elijah is the only one standing for God. And the showdown is that they will each, the prophets of Baal and Asherah will sacrifice a bull and put it on an altar. Elijah will sacrifice a bull and put it on his altar, but they won't set fire to it. And then they will each pray, and then whichever God lights the altar, well, that's the real God. I mean, it sounds like a good test, right? That's a good, I mean, that's good, okay? <clears throat> and as Elijah is explaining all this, and he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. All of the people say nothing. Like they're, they're, they're quiet. They don't say anything. Remember that part I had you underline? Basically, they just look at each other. And then and you're looking around, you're thinking, why aren't they saying anything? And then you realize why. They say nothing because in their hearts, they're divided. They waver. That basically there's a part of each one of them that, yes, they want to believe in God, but yet there's another part of them that wants to just do things their own way. And so the Bible says they're of two opinions. They waver. And you can see it on their faces. And God can see it in their soul. Because they're not sold out to anything. They waver. Second thing that you would have seen is this. <clears throat> You'd have seen fools dancing and smack talking. Yeah, that's what you would have seen. Fools dancing and smack talking. Let's pick it up, verse 25. It says this. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there's so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. I mean, come on. Who says the Bible's not funny, right? Like, this is good stuff. And by the way, 
if you had season tickets, you want Elijah sitting next to you because, like, he is the smack-talkingest guy in town, right? I could be awesome, okay? So here's what it says. Verse 28. So they shouted louder <laughs> and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Ugh. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Okay, so here you are, like you're in this crowd of thousands and thousands of people, and you're watching this thing go down. And so the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, go, they go first. They slaughter the bull. They put it on the altar. They, you know, they start, you know, calling on the name of Baal. You know, they start dancing around. You know, they do the whip and nay-nay to try to see if they can get, you know, Baal to answer. I mean, you never know. I mean, maybe, right? Okay. But, and, and nothing's happening. And then Elisha starts the smack talk, right? So he's like, hey, guys, maybe you need to shout louder because maybe he's on vacation. You know, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's taking a nap. But you need to get louder because he can't hear you. I mean, that's what he's saying. And get this. They decide they're going to yell louder, which is crazy, by the way. But look, bottom line, it's pretty obvious to you after several hours of watching this go on. It's pretty obvious to you nothing's going to happen. Like, you know, like nothing's going to happen. And truthfully, you think probably when Elijah gets up there, probably nothing's going to happen there either. And you begin to wonder, I wonder if any of this is even real. And then the third, here's the third thing you'd see. Number three is this. You'd see a soaked altar and fire from heaven. You'd see a soaked altar and fire from heaven. Let's pick it up in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and I want you to underline this, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed, which means it was a really big trench. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then I want you to underline all of verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord! He is God, the Lord. Oh, he is God, right? And so now it's Elijah's turn. And by the way, you're dumbfounded when he tells the guys, hey, 
fill up these large jars of water, and let's just pour water all over the sacrifice. And you're thinking to yourself, dude, Elijah, why are you making it hard on yourself? I mean, these other guys, they couldn't even get a spark going. And now you're pouring water on Like, why are you making it hard on yourself like this? It's totally unnecessary. And the second thing you think is, you're thinking, Elijah, maybe you haven't clued in, but it hasn't rained in three years. This water is precious to us. It's valuable. And you've just taken jars, four of them, 30 gallons apiece, poured it all of the sacrifice, and you did it three times. Like, don't you understand? You are wasting this water that we need. And then Elijah prays. And he doesn't, he doesn't do any like weird dances or anything like that. And he doesn't yell and shout or do anything crazy. He just prays a very simple prayer. He just says, oh God, oh God, hear me. And light this altar to show people that you're real. And turn their hearts back towards you. And then this fireball comes out of heaven. Okay, look, it's not lightning. Okay, it hasn't rained in more than three years. There are no clouds in the sky. Okay, this is not lightning. It is this ball of fire. I I mean... You know, it, picture something like out of a laser cannon from Star Wars, okay? Comes down and boom! I mean, it hits the altar and lights it on fire. Okay, not the sacrifice. The whole altar. And it burns up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, evaporates all the water, and turns even the soil into a sheet of black glass. I mean, that's incredible. Like, wow. Like, I wish I'd been there to see that. And the people that day, they looked at Elijah, and they looked at the altar that's now just this sheet of black glass, and they look at each other, and they go, oh, yeah, the Lord, he's God. Oh, yeah, he is God. And they no longer waver because now they believe. It's incredible. I mean, unbelievable. so, So, look. If you and I were there, if we were there that day, we would arrive at several conclusions. And I want you to write these down. The first is this. That God is serious about sin. First conclusion is that God is serious about sin. Remember, this culture had become oversexed because they had departed from God. Look, anytime a nation departs from God, their sin nature takes over. And eventually the morals just spiral downward. Which, I mean, aren't we glad nothing like that's happened in America, right? Yeah. Look, as our, as our culture drifts farther and farther and farther away from God, I mean, look, it might seem like God's doing nothing. It, it seemed like it to them because Ahab ruled for 22 years. His dad, King Omri, ruled for 12 years, and he was the one that started this whole Baal Asherah worship thing. So literally, for 34 years, it seems like God's done nothing. Like like he's just done nothing. But at some point in time, God says, enough. He says, enough. And so after 34 years, and look, we didn't read this part, but basically, after the prophets had the showdown with Elijah, all of them are killed. And so people that day, while you realize that, yes, God is this incredibly loving and patient and kind God. 
at some point, he says, enough is enough. And so, so look, I mean, for, look for us. Too often, we, too often we just shrug away sin. Uh, I mean, we think and say, you know, it's no big deal. I'm look, I'm better than most people. It's okay. I'm not doing anything really bad. And so we make little compromises in our faith. And with every little compromise we make, we drift farther and farther and farther away from God until we've drifted so far that when God says, oh, no, 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 like this is sin. We've drifted so far that we, we don't just kind of look at each other like the people in the crowd today. They just kind of looked at each other and we waver because we're of two opinions in our heart. We're divided in our hearts. For instance, you know, in our culture, Look, we've just become so accustomed to people having sex together before they get married that now it's expected. Like, it's just the new normal. We don't even notice it anymore when people cuss. We hardly even notice it. We, and we also think that, you know, internet pornography, like that's just a part of living life in our day and age. We think that, you know, smoking weed is not that bad. Because, I mean, at least they're not doing something really bad. And the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we accumulate, the way we overschedule so that there's no time for God anywhere. I mean, look, at when, when are we going to say enough? And this God who is serious about sin means that at some point in time, we need to get serious about sin. And so when are we going to finally say, you know what? Enough is enough. Enough. All right, here's the second conclusion you come to that day. Second conclusion number two is this. I need to repair the altar of my heart. I need to repair the altar of my heart. Remember when I had you underline the part that Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord? Okay, why, why was God's altar lying in ruins? Do you know? It lie in ruins for lack of use. People just didn't sacrifice anything for God anymore. It had been so long since people had worshipped there that the altar lay in ruins for lack of use. And look, if you had been there that day, you would have seen Elijah take an hour, maybe several hours, I don't know how long it took, but you would have watched him as he put rock upon rock upon rock upon rock as he built this altar for the sacrifice. And as he took that time to build that altar, I think you would have said, you know, I wonder what the altar of my own heart looks like. How long has it been since I knelt before the altar of God in my own heart and really prayed? How long has it been since I have really sought God's face? How long has it been since I really got on my knees and I really got before God and worshipped Him? And committed myself wholeheartedly to follow him. How long has it been? How long has it been? And then you realize, you know what? The condition of, my, of the altar in my own heart is not what it used to be. Let me ask you, I mean, does that describe you today? Does that depict where you really are? Do you need to repair the altar in your own heart? Do you need 
to renew a commitment to follow God, to pray, to seek Him, to spend time alone with Him. Because, look, maybe that's something you did in the past, but you've gotten away from it. And so now the altar in your own heart lies in disrepair. So look, make a commitment. Renew your commitment to follow God. Renew a, a commitment to worship Him, to seek Him, to pray, to read your Bible, to give, to sacrifice, to serve, to worship God for who He is. And say, God, above all things, you are above all things in my life. It's time to say, okay, God, I am going to put you number one far and away above all the rest. That's how you repair the altar of your own heart, okay? All right, third conclusion you, I, you and I would come to is this. Is that I need to follow God and not the crowd. I need to follow God, not the crowd. Look, God doesn't want you to follow the crowd. You know, to follow what culture says. Okay, it doesn't matter what people at your office say, or what people at school say, or what people at your gym say. It doesn't matter. And, and look, and if you were there that day, here's what you would have said. You would have said, you know what? Even if all of these people at some point stop following God, I won't. Because I have seen fire fall from heaven and consume an entire altar and turn the whole thing into a sheet of black glass. I have seen too much. Like, I cannot go back. Amen. That's what you would say. That's what you would conclude. Which, which, which means, by the way, that sometimes to follow God means that you have to sacrifice some things. It means sometimes you're going to have to make some sacrifices. For instance, Elijah, he poured water on the altar three times. Remember, it hadn't rained in more than three years. But look, if God says, hey, pour the water, you know what? Then you take what that valuable, precious thing and you pour it out. That's what Elijah did. So let me ask this. How long has it been since you've sacrificed something important to God? How long has it been since God asked you to sacrifice something important, valuable to you, to put it on the altar and say, give that for me? How long has it been since God's asked you to do something radical and you did it? How long has it been since God has put that out there and you took that step of faith and you followed and it made life so exciting and because it started a new adventure in you and in your heart. How long has it been since you've sacrificed something significant for God? Because look, God sacrificed for you. He sacrificed His Son, Jesus Christ, for you because He loves you. And so He took His Son and allowed His Son to go to a cross to die. And he died there so that his death could purchase forgiveness for your sin. And look, and if you've never received that forgiveness for yourself, you never accepted it for yourself, then you need to do that. And you need to do that today. There's a prayer that you can pray to receive that forgiveness, to become a Christian, become a Christ follower. It's at the bottom of your message notes. I want you to take a moment and I want you to pray it right now. But for all of us, I want to give us a chance to respond to God today. I want you to do it a little bit differently than we normally do, okay? Because maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you think, you know what? Maybe you realize you haven't been taking sin seriously and you've drifted. Or maybe you realize the altar of your own heart lies in disrepair and you're ready to make some commitments to build it back to where you know it should be.
Or maybe for you, you realize, you know what? I've just kind of blended in with the crowd. And I've followed the crowd. But today, I'm willing to make a stand. And I'm going to follow God. So here's what we're going to do. In just a second, the band is going to come play. In fact, I want you guys, gals, y'all go ahead and come on up. As the band plays, I want you to respond to God. And maybe that means that you come down to the front and you kneel before the stage or before the altar here. Maybe for you it means that you sit in your seat and you just put your head in your hands. You say, okay, God, I need you to change in something inside of me. And I, 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 I'm willing to make commitments. Or maybe for you it means you stand up right where you are. You say, okay, God, I'm willing to make a stand. I don't care what anybody would say or think. It doesn't matter to me. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to physically respond to God somehow. Whether you come down to the front and you renew your commitment to follow Him, whether you do it in your seat or whether you stand up, I don't really care, but I want you to physically respond to God. As soon as the band plays, I want you to do that. So right now, I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for the chance to come and respond to you. Thank you, first off, for Elijah who stood alone. And God, I ask that you would help us become the kind of people who would stand for you as well. Unashamed, unintimidated, unafraid, ready to sacrifice whatever you ask us to. And so God, to you, we say to you, here's our hearts. Here are our hearts. Use them. Use us to become the kind of people you want us to be. And so we make those commitments today to you. And I ask you to help us to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.